Chapters fifty three and fifty four of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fifty three. Secret as the Grave. We are agreed as to terms, then, said Lady Perriam. Perfectly, my dear madam, replied Mr. Ledlam. Nothing could be more liberal than your proposal. Then we have only to arrange matters of detail suppose that i decide upon confiding my brother-in-law to your care there will be some legal formula to be gone through will there not undoubtedly the patient must be seen by two medical men and duly certified as a lunatic so i understood now i do not care about bringing a second doctor to this house if you decide that poor mr perriam is insane you could take him up to london in the charge of his nurse and the second doctor could see him at the hotel where you put up on your arrival unquestionably lady perriam that can be done what could not be done for a patroness who was about to throw three hundred a year into joseph ledlam's lap he had been wearing out body and brain during twenty years of mortal strife with fortune and had never yet compassed so large an income let it be so then if you can conscientiously pronounce that mr perriam is a lunatic you will take him to london with you by to-night's mail which leaves monkhampton at half-past eight it will be dusk by that time and you will be able to get him away unobserved rely upon my discretion lady perriam there shall be no scandal no discomfort to the patient all shall be done quietly and agreeably above all if the nurse is efficient she is a good nurse but timid you will have to rule her with a stronger will than her own she can remain with you for a week or two till your patient grows accustomed to his new home indeed she might remain altogether if it were necessary i do not apprehend that said mr ledlam quickly the restraining and soothing influences of the home circle aided by medical supervision will i trust do all that we can wish i do not promise cure my experience has not led me to believe that the majority of cases of mental derangement are amenable to actual cure the brain once affected can rarely be restored to its normal condition continued mr ledlam gravely with a view to the permanence of his three hundred a year i do not expect a cure in this case replied lady perriam there is here a fixed and rooted delusion which i fear must be beyond cure however you shall see your patient and judge for yourself sylvia rang a bell which was answered after an interval of about five minutes by mrs carter she had to come from mordred's rooms which were at the opposite end of the house the nurse's pale grave face expressed poignant anxiety as she looked from lady perriam to the stranger but her countenance gave no indication of surprise she had evidently been prepared for this interview how is your patient this afternoon nurse asked lady perriam pretty much as usual my lady still full of fancies i suppose this gentleman has come to see him you can take him to mr perriam's room will you come with us madam asked mr ledlam no i would rather you should form an unbiased judgment replied sylvia my presence might agitate my poor brother-in-law he is accustomed to mrs carter and with her you will see him at his best mr ledlam bowed and followed the nurse from the room along the corridor to the other end of the house and into the large shabbily furnished sitting-room lined from floor to ceiling with dingily bound books where the last of the two brothers spent his joyless existence the solitary occupant of the room looked a very old man as he sat by the fireless hearth half buried in a large armchair his shrunken limbs wrapped in a dressing-gown of faded indian cashmere his head bent upon his breast 
his idle hands hanging loosely at his sides an image of imbecility or despair lady perriam paced her room restlessly during the doctor's absence now pausing for a moment to look at the clock on the mantelpiece now stopping by an open window to gaze out into distance with eyes that saw not the landscape summer beauty it was to the avenue she looked with that quick anxious gaze dreading to see mr bain's neat dog-cart advancing between the double range of trees he had been at the place only yesterday and there was no reason why he should come to-day except the one fact that his coming to-day would be fatal mr ledlam's absence seemed a great deal longer than it need have been sylvia looked at the door every now and then eagerly expecting his return this is the crisis of my fate she thought if all goes well now my future is safe mr ledlam returned and approached her with a grave and sympathetic countenance alas dear lady your fears were but too well founded he began there is incurable derangement your unhappy brother-in-law is not in a condition to be left without medical restraint there is a rooted delusion a mistaken sense of identity which is somewhat curious in its nature and to the scientific mind eminently interesting do not go into details interposed lady perriam the subject is too painful do you pronounce my poor brother-in-law actually out of his mind i do without a moment's hesitation and do you think any other doctor would arrive at the same conclusion i have no doubt of it in that case the sooner he is removed from this house the better i told mrs carter to have everything prepared for an immediate journey should you decide as you have decided my carriage can take you your patient and his nurse to the railway station and now mr ledlam there only remains one question to be settled between us can i rely upon your discretion upon your keeping the secret of mr perriam's melancholy state the nature of his delusion from every living creature except those who have to attend upon him yes lady perriam you may trust me implicitly remember if i hear that you have broken faith with me in the smallest particular i shall immediately remove your patient i do not fear such a contingency answered mr ledlam firmly was he likely to hazard three hundred a year competence nay wealth by any ill-advised prating i'd cut mrs ledlam's tongue out sooner than run the risk of losing such a patient he said to himself and you will leave for london without seeing any one whom you may know in monkhampton you will avoid all future communication with any one in this neighbourhood urged lady perriam certainly madam i have not been in the habit of corresponding with monkhampton people the place was by no means a lucky place to me and though i am a native of this county i have no affection for it i have sometimes met with mr bain the lawyer in london and spent a friendly evening with him but he is the only monkhampton man with whom i have kept up any acquaintance it will be best to avoid mr bain in future he is my land steward and it was he who recommended you to me i shall tell him that mr perriam is in your care but i distinctly forbid you to ever let him see your patient should he come to your house for that purpose he was raised to a position of undue power by my late husband and he is too fond of interfering with my affairs should you see him at any time you will be as uncommunicative as possible madam i will be dumb and i shall do my best to avoid shadrach bain lady perriam rang the bell and ordered dinner to be served for mr ledlam as soon as possible she was anxious for the hour of his departure 
but it was not yet five o'clock and she could hardly get him and his patient away before seven the train left at half-past eight and reached london at one in the morning the carriage was ordered to be ready at seven to take mr perriam and his nurse to the station he is going away for a change of air and scene lady perriam told the butler to whom she gave this order going in the care of a medical attendant poor dear gentleman he do seem to want it said the butler who had seen very little of mordred since the baronet's death but had gathered a melancholy idea of his condition from the talk of the women's servants who had their intelligence from mrs carter at seven mr perriam was brought downstairs a curious figure in his ill-fitting old-fashioned clothes a world too wide for that shrunken form an eccentric-looking figure crowned with a broad-brimmed white beaver hat which almost extinguished him he was supported on each side by the doctor and the nurse and seemed to have barely sufficient strength to drag himself downstairs and across the hall and into the carriage with that double support sylvia watched his departure from an open gallery watched him with heavily throbbing heart the carriage rolled away upon the smooth gravel the heavy hall doors closed with a bang he was gone we'll all go right at the station sylvia wondered if they were only in london i should feel secure she had told mrs carter to telegraph to her as early as possible on the following morning till she received that telegram she could know nothing more there was little rest for her that night she could not keep her thoughts from following those travellers or prevent her fancy conjuring up possible difficulties which might arise to thwart her plans it was an unspeakable relief to know that mordred's rooms were empty yet till all was over and mr ledlam's patient was safely settled under his roof there to be for ever hidden from the outer world sylvia could know no perfect rest her slumbers that night were of the briefest and her dreams made hideous by horrible images death and madness figured alternately in those confused visions the telegram arrived while lady perriam was seated before an untasted breakfast it brought relief and satisfaction to her mind mrs carter paddington to lady perriam perriam place near monkhampton arrived in london safely put up at jones's private hotel paddington met with no difficulty during journey this was all but it was sufficient to lighten lady perriam's anxieties the next telegram would be from mr ledlam to tell her of the result of his patient's interview with the second doctor whose opinion was to settle the fact of mr perriam's lunacy sylvia's next anxiety was the expected letter from edmund standon if he wrote on the first stage of his journey the letter ought to reach her by that afternoon's post in the meanwhile she was in the dark as to his intentions did he intend to forsake her after swearing that it was she alone whom he loved could he be so mad as to fly from love fortune happiness or was his departure only designed to soften the blow to esther rochdale to make the breaking off of their engagement easier for both this was the view which sylvia took of his conduct and she waited with intense impatience for the letter which was to justify her hopes the telegram from mr ledlam came at three o'clock in the afternoon joseph ledlam london to lady perriam perriam place near monkhampton dr dervish of blue hendon square has seen the patient and confirms my opinion as to mental derangement certificates and all preliminaries arranged the patient accompanies me to the arbour this afternoon with mrs carter that was all how easily the business had been done there was an hour still to wait for the afternoon post which came to perriam at four 
a weary hour in which to suffer the heart-sickness of hope deferred sylvia dreaded a visit from mr bain ere that afternoon was over was he likely to give her a long respite would he not be impatient to have his audacious question answered she thought of his wooing with mingled bitterness and contempt but not without a thrill of fear his manner had implied some hidden power a hold upon her which she trembled to think of never could she forget the agony of that hour on the sunlit terrace would he dare to make me such an offer if he did not believe he has some power over me she asked herself meditatively yet what could his knowledge amount to what can he know or even suspect and now if mr ledlam is but faithful to me all is safe the grave could hardly be a better hiding-place for what i want to hide fifty four the master passion the afternoon wore away and to sylvia's supreme relief mr bain did not appear to claim her answer to his proposal the four o'clock post brought her edmund's promised letter posted from antwerp it was a long letter and when sylvia first looked at it the closely written lines swam before her eyes hotel peter paul antwerp dear lady Perriam, when i consented to that fatal meeting of the other night i did so strong in the belief that i had steeled myself against a fascination which once had such complete power over me i came to meet you prepared to be your friend or your counsellor should you need friendship or counsel but resolved never again to be your lover on that point i believed myself firm as a rock you have done me the deepest wrong that it is possible for a woman to inflict upon the man who loves her you had blighted the fairest years of my life i might forgive you for all i had suffered blot out the remembrance of those years but i must be weak indeed despicable indeed if i offered my love again to be again fooled to the top of my bent and again abandoned this is what i thought and believed when i rashly braved the spell of your presence you know how miserably weak i proved in the hour of temptation i did not know myself when i came to that meeting in perriam churchyard i know myself only too well now and know that i am your slave for ever and now sylvia what is to be my fate i place my lot in your hands i am a dishonoured man who has broken faith with one of the best and purest of women a woman whom to know is to honour for whom love goes hand in hand with reverence i have fled from the scene of my wrong-doing not daring to meet those gentle eyes whose truthful gaze would look into my very soul still less able to endure the pardon which i know would be mine though my folly and falsehood may go near to break that faithful heart i have fled leaving esther rochdale to despise me as the meanest of men pronounce sylvia it is for you to speak my sentence am i to be your husband happy in the possession of one whose very presence has a magic which steals my senses and brings sweet forgetfulness of all things in life save herself am i to be your husband despised most likely by the world as the man who was not too proud to marry the girl who jilted him and even to profit by the perfidy which made her a rich woman despised as a fortune-hunter but happy in your love what is my future to give me sylvia it is for you to decide remember if you marry me you marry a pauper or a man who at the best can earn four or five hundred a year by the drudgery of a bank managership with your beauty youth and wealth you might do much better than this 
you might mount a step higher on the ladder of fortune marry a man whose position should be twice as great as sir aubrey perriam's consider all this sylvia in common humanity do not again deceive me if you love me well enough to sacrifice ambition and to endure slander for be very sure such a marriage would expose you to the malevolence of the world i am at your feet and ask no higher joy than to be your husband but be very sure of yourself before you answer this letter and if the word yes be said let it be a yes that will stand though all the world were against us yours till death edmund standon sylvia covered the letter with passionate kisses kisses mingled with tears if i love him well enough she repeated if i love him god help me could he know what i have gone through to win him once again he would not talk of ifs my edmund my beloved mine at last what does all i have ever suffered count against the joy of this moment my edmund he is poor and i am rich i can give him happiness wealth position who shall dare to despise him or me now at last i shall know the meaning of happiness i shall know the value of wealth she read and re-read the letter for the nonce the letter was edmund she kissed the senseless paper cried over it till it was limp with her tears it was not all sweetness one passage stung her to the quick that sentence in which edmund paid tribute to esther rochdale's noble nature that was bitter he thinks her so much better than i there is not a word in all the letter that speaks of respect for me confidence in me she reflected brooding over that praise of esther but then he loves me best he has tried to love her and failed he loves me in spite of himself that is the love best worth having the true master passion lady perriam rang for her maid pack a couple of portmanteau with everything necessary for a month's absence she said and get yourself ready to leave by the half-past eight o'clock train this evening i am going away for a change of air the woman looked astonished at the sudden announcement but lady perriam was not a communicative mistress and gave all orders with a cold imperiousness which left no room for question stop celine she said as the woman was retiring she meditated silently for a minute or two looking downward with a troubled brow send tringfold to me she said she had reflected that it would be wise to take her child with her even though nurse and infant would be encumbrances where she was going mr bain outraged cheated might attempt some act of revenge and to leave the child in his power would be like leaving it in a lion's den the child was her strong rock through him she enjoyed house income position she had but the vaguest idea of the power the court of chancery possessed to rule her life but she thought it just possible that mr bain possessed of the child and aided by the court of chancery might be able to oust her from perriam place separate her from her infant son and rob her of the liberal allowance the court had awarded for his maintenance she was going straight to antwerp and she hoped to return to perriam as edmund standon's wife sir aubrey had been dead little more than six months sylvia knew that to marry so soon would be to have the world's contempt but she was prepared to endure that she was willing to be slandered ridiculed even rather than to give edmund time to change his mind and return to esther rochdale 
mrs tringfold came presently and she not so well trained as lady periam's own maid did not fail to express unbounded surprise at such a sudden departure how was she to get sir st john's frocks ready at the moment's notice there were a dozen in the laundry not so much as ironed rolled up in the starch and would be two days work to iron them he can go without frocks if necessary answered sylvia decisively she had no idea of being balked by a dependent we can buy more frocks and everything else to-morrow in london the doctor who was here yesterday told me that change of air and scene were necessary for my health and the sooner i went away the better if you'd only told me yesterday evening my lady i was too much agitated by poor mr periam's departure to think of myself i have only now made up my mind and i do not wish to lose any time in getting away i feel that i want change of air you have been looking out of sorts and low-like for a long time my lady but that's only natural after your sad loss of course come mrs tringfold don't waste any time talking if you can't get ready to go with baby celine must take him i am determined not to lose the nine o'clock train let him go without me that dear blessed child i wouldn't leave him for the world it'll be a dreadful drive but i'll get ready somehow if i work myself into a fever there need be no fever answered lady periam calmly though inward fever burned in her breast you can have plenty of help there's a house full of servants doing nothing the boxes shall be packed my lady and i'll take the frocks in the starch and iron them myself when we get to our destination be ready at half-past seven o'clock i shall not wait for you sylvia had something to do herself before her departure she had to write a letter to mr bain a letter which should if possible soften the edge of his disappointment and conciliate the man who had so much power either as her ally or her adversary the composition of that letter was almost the hardest work sylvia had ever had to do after three or four attempts resulting in failure she wrote the following dear mr bain i have given serious and careful consideration to the proposal you did me the honour to make me the day before yesterday and much thought has resulted in the conviction that i can only reply to that flattering proposition in the negative i respect your force of character admire your capacity for business and that mental power which i do not doubt would have made you great or distinguished in almost any walk of life but i cannot give you the affection you ask for and i will show my confidence in your generosity and my belief in your honour by telling you why i cannot do so you are doubtless aware that before i married sir aubrey i was engaged to mr standon that engagement was broken at my father's bidding at the hazard of breaking my heart because he was too proud to permit my marriage with a man whose mother was so strongly averse for such a union i yielded to my father's wishes and married sir aubrey whose goodness had inspired me with deepest gratitude whom i esteemed and revered but to whom i could not give the love which had already been given to edmund standon sir aubrey was too generous to claim such a love from me he was content to receive my reverence and obedience the old love was buried but not dead no thought of edmund standon ever came between me and my duty to my husband but now that i am once more free memory is reawakened and i know that my first lover is still master of my heart with this knowledge i should do you the deepest wrong were i to offer encouragement to your hopes be assured of my confidence my regard remain my friend my counsellor 
retain all the power you have ever enjoyed at perium be the adviser of my son's youth the protector and manager of his wealth and be assured through all and under all circumstances of my unchanging gratitude and undeviating regard ever faithfully yours sylvia perium p s i find it necessary rather suddenly to take decisive measures with regard to mr perium i have taken your advice and placed him in your friend's care sylvia read this letter carefully before sealing it it seemed to her a triumph of ingenuity if anything could appease mr bain's wrath soften the pangs of disappointed ambition surely this letter would do it she left it to be delivered after her departure she trembled at the thought that even yet shadrach bain might make his appearance before she had started she had her own preparations still to make money papers and jewels to collect and pack safely for the journey she had not said a word about leaving perriam place in the letter to mr bain it would be time enough for him to make the discovery when he came there and found her gone half-past seven o'clock came at last an hour as impatiently longed for as it had been last night lady perriam nurse and infant entered the chariot a cart was loaded with portmanteau and travelling-bags Celine took her place beside the driver of this inferior vehicle the swift wheels rolled along the avenue and sylvia had started on the first stage of her journey to antwerp the party stopped that night at a monster hotel in paddington where lady perriam courted sleep in one of the most expensive bedrooms of the house a desert waste of polished walnut wood and dark green damask to-morrow night she would be tossing on the sea or steaming swiftly up the scheldt in the baronosi or some sister boat the antwerp steamer left st catherine's wharf at noon next day lady perriam to whom slumber had come but by briefest snatches was astir early she breakfasted with her boy and the nurse and was unusually gracious to mrs tringfold whom she thought it might be well to conciliate i haven't so much as heard you say where we are going to my lady said mrs tringfold emboldened by this condescension and it's rather wearing to the mind to feel oneself travelling and not know what one's coming to didn't i tell you tringfold exclaimed sylvia with an innocent wondering look how odd that i should forget it we are going to antwerp on the first stage of our journey up the rhine mrs tringfold looked insufficiently enlightened antwerp she repeated might that be anywheres in the highlands my lady i know scotch travelling is all the rage with the aristocracy lady perriam explained that antwerp was not in north britain mrs tringfold was grateful for the explanation but expressed some horror at the idea of going among nasty dirty frenchmen being under the common impression that all foreigners are frenchmen lady perriam made good use of the interval between breakfast and half-past ten o'clock at which hour the fly was ordered to convey the travellers to st catherine's wharf she drove to jaeger street bloomsbury where she was fortunate enough to find mr ledlam just arriving from his country retreat whence an early train had brought him to his surgery that gentleman looked not a little surprised at the appearance of his patroness are you about to honour us with a visit to the arbour lady perriam he asked rather anxiously not just yet mr ledlam i am on my way to the continent for a little change and rest on my return i shall come to see your patient and hope to find that he does honour to your care i thought while in london i might as well call here and ascertain from your own lips that all is well nothing could be better answered mr ledlam glibly our poor patient has been somewhat sullen and querulous but on the whole we have got on charmingly 
mrs carter the nurse has been of some service in soothing him he has a curious fancy about her and sometimes my dear mr ledlam i have begged you not to torture me with details so you found mrs carter useful it has occurred to me that as the patient likes her it might be as well to retain her services for some time to come mr ledlam's countenance fell somewhat at this suggestion i should of course make an allowance for her maintenance say fifty pounds a year mr ledlam brightened visibly then looked thoughtful finally brightened again it might be so arranged lady perriam if you desire it it is somewhat against my rule to receive any patient's former attendant i prefer attendants of my own choosing but in this case i will strain a point mrs carter shall stay with us she shall share the repose of our secluded home i have been thinking that you might be glad of a payment on account mr ledlam that is very considerate of you lady perriam i admit that some small advance would not be unwelcome sylvia gave him a hundred pounds in notes which she had prepared for that purpose and took his receipt for the amount in a thoroughly business-like manner two hours afterwards she was standing on the deck of the antwerp steamer watching the low shores of essex glide slowly by and dreaming of a happy future not a thought of the lunatic in his strange abode home in name in reality a prison no regret for the mother whom she had condemned to share his dismal doom stole like a dark and menacing shadow across sylvia perriam's sunlit daydreams she was a woman who lived for herself whose fears hopes desires ever tended towards one perpetual centre she was hastening to meet her lover and she was happy End of chapters 53 and 54